Well, uh, obviously, the national stage set for tomorrow in New Hampshire, the primary, but minus an eight. As uh, Ron DeSantis exit the race, uh, here to discuss, as well as other aspects, is David Birdsell, the fine provost of Kane University. And nice enough to join us here on this Monday morning, and a very good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you, Jay. Great to be here. Great having you, Ron DeSantis. I am not surprised uh, as far as this. You know, you look at the DeSantis run, and really, you know, he said it He said it perfectly in, in a video release yesterday, David. Uh, there's no clear-cut path, really. When there's no clear-cut path to take out Trump, uh, why exercise the effort and the money and everything else involved here? I mean, Trump's going to be the nominee. We all know it. Uh, Nikki Haley, I think, will soon learn that. But DeSantis made the right call here. Absolutely. Uh, the only thing wrong about this call is that he didn't make it three months ago. Uh, he raised more money than any candidate in the race so far, including former President Trump, uh, and squandered it. This was clearly a campaign that, at least since the early fall, if not the late summer, has been going nowhere. Uh, he did make the right call in dropping out of the race at this point, and he went ahead and pledged his support uh, to former President Trump. So now it's down to Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. And you can be sure that Nikki Haley, uh, if she has even a very strong second performance in New Hampshire tonight, uh, pardon me, on Tuesday night, uh, will uh, stick in the race at least through the South Carolina primary where she is a uh, favorite daughter uh, of that state. Uh, but if she is anywhere even double digits behind Donald Trump, it's going to be difficult for her to stay in even that long. Yeah, and she'll make the call. No question. Obviously, David, referring to the fact that she was the governor of that state. But uh, all in all, uh, that uh, will be in. You know, you look at DeSantis from the get-go, and a lot of miscues, you know, statements, Ukraine looms large to me, David. You know, the, the fact of not supporting Ukraine and everything else. You know, you kind of backtrack a little bit. Um, but so many miscues, rearranging staff and uh, managers uh, throughout the campaign. Didn't really know how to go about it. You know, it was, was very much, you know, he, he kind of got a little bit of personality. You saw that a little bit in the one-on-one with Newsom in, the, in a debate. Uh, held by Fox at the end of November. Even that with with Nikki Haley, uh, he seemed uh, a little bit out of sorts. And really, that was it. You know, and I even said uh, he's just not ready for prime time. Now, twenty twenty eight will be a different story. You think that he will learn? I think he'll be a leading contender, no question. Uh, but he still has room to grow and mature in that regard. And I thought from the get go. Uh, he misfired on, on a lot of counts. He did indeed. And we have to remember, uh, you know, obviously policy matters, obviously uh, where you position yourself on the left and right side of the spectrum, different starting points in the Republican and Democratic parties, but uh, all that stuff matters. But campaigning is a profoundly people-oriented thing. And that's the thing that, uh, that Ron DeSantis turned out to be worst at. Uh, he was stiff. He was awkward. He made it very clear that he didn't like being out on the campaign trail. That forced smile, whether it was at a rope line or on the debate stage, people just didn't warm to the man. Uh, and he didn't warm to them. And that was evident to everybody who took a look at this campaign. So 
one of the things that he's going to have to do between 2028, uh, regardless of what happens in 2024, uh, is try to develop that ability to connect. And that's really hard to teach. Um, he has governed in Florida as a kind of in-your-face defender of what he believes to be traditional American values. Uh, he's campaigned consistently against what he calls woke politics and woke culture. Uh, and that didn't sell in the United States. But again, right. it's more than the policy. It's the guy who's trying to sell it. And that just didn't fly with the Republican primary electorate. You see, that's the biggest thing. You just nailed it. The guy in Montana, you know, he doesn't care of DeSantis's battle with Disney. He never really connected with the rest of the country. You know, he pointed out his, and listen, he's been a great governor in the Sunshine State, without question. It's free state and everything else. We know that. But you must connect with the rest, you know, of the, of the 300 million people outside of the 22 million in your state. You know, you have to find some sort of a ground of communication. He never got that. It was you're, you're right. The fake smile and everything else. He was out of sorts. He didn't look right on the stage. Um, you know, again, he'll have four years to think about it, and he'll throw it again in the ring come 2028. But you've got to connect with the vote. Listen, Nikki Haley has more of a connection, I think, with the rest of this country than DeSantis ever did. So he'll have to live and learn. Uh, without question. As far as Nikki Haley, you know, she's made a couple of uh, uh, elevation points, uh, no question, as far as New Hampshire. She's still going to lose by anywhere from 11 to 15 uh, percent of the vote, no question there. But Nikki Haley gives you a little something uh, as far as how to handle a guy like Trump, where DeSantis never could. Um, but still, you, you just get a sense that she's so far behind, but she gives you a little something. Oh, absolutely. She's a much more polished candidate. She's got a lot more experience uh, being in the State House, uh, being the ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, she has that global profile. She actually understands world affairs. It's an open question as to whether Governor DeSantis does. Uh, and, and again, that's something you can repair. You can't repair, or at least it's much more difficult to repair personality issues uh, that you put on the campaign trail. But she's very, as the saying goes, relatable. Uh, she has a great stump speech. Uh, she deals with people, whether they are friendly or hostile to her, very uh, adroitly. Um, but the the path that she's trying to par carve in the uh, Republican primary, I'm not sure it exists. If it exists anywhere, it probably exists in New Hampshire, and that is to say a relatively more moderate Republicanism, still rock-ribbed conservative. Let's make no mistake about it. Uh, her positions are well to the right of anything that could have flowed in the Republican Party, even in 2012. Uh, but she has uh, a, a relatively more... Uh, forgiving approach than uh, than Donald Trump. It's just not what Republican primary voters want. And if she can't uh, make, you know, either win, which, as you point out, is, is highly unlikely, uh, or at least bring it to a very close second in New Hampshire, it's just impossible to see how another state uh, in this Republican primary map or caucus map is going to give her a victory. Yep, no doubt. Uh, Dave Birdsell with us. Um, do you feel... David, that she will be a top candidate come 2028 for the Republican Party? Uh, I do. I think that she is uh, 
field tested. She has the virtues that I ticked off a moment ago. Uh, she has the national profile. There are a lot of people who like her. Her negatives are low. Uh, and that's important. Uh, Ron DeSantis, by the time he dropped out of the campaign, her negative, his negatives were outpacing his positives. Uh, and again, that's a whole sort of whole repackage and reintroduction effort in four years. Uh, but Nikki Haley has some, uh, has, has some momentum to build on. Uh, she's never going to do it while Donald Trump is available to be at the top of the ticket for the GOP. Uh, but once he's off the stage, uh, she absolutely has a, you know, has one of the seats at the table for the 2028 campaign and conceivably beyond. She's uh, still a relatively young person. No question about it. Um, as far as the vice presidential pick of Trump, you know, I stated my belief it's Christy Nome. I believe it would be Christy Nome who campaigned very hard for Trump in Iowa before the caucus. Um, and not a lot of people are stating Nome's name. Uh, I hear more about Elise Stefanik. Uh, although she's young at 39 and everything else, I don't know if they'd be on the same page in that regard. Uh, I don't think it'll be Tim Scott. I do think it'll be a female. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders indicated in one of the shows, I believe yesterday, uh, that she has a job to finish in her state as far as Arkansas, which, by the way, Trump would win anyway. So I don't know if he needs Sarah Huckabee Sanders. But in essence, uh, you know, listen, it could be a Kerry Lake out of Arizona. Who knows? Where, where do you think he goes here, David? Well, I'm with you. I think that uh, Christy Nome is, is clearly a leading contender. Uh, I do think it highly likely that he will pick a woman uh, because that is where his political support is softest uh, nationally and where he has the most gain in a general election uh, by at least trying to court uh, people who uh, want to see a more vigorous defense of uh, women's rights and issues that matter uh, to, uh, to not only to women, but of course to uh, to men, to families, etc. Um, and you know, it's, it's there's no guarantee, of course, when you have a vice president that that a changes uh, presidential policy, um, or b that the vice president has anything to do with the formulation of that policy uh, from uh, the old executive office building where the vice president uh, sets up shop. Uh, but it is, uh, I, I think, very likely that he picks a woman. Christy Nome checks so many boxes. She's been a member of Congress. She's been a governor. Uh, she's been loyal to Donald Trump from the get-go. As you point out, she's uh, uh, underscored that by vigorous campaigning on his behalf during the primary season and at the Iowa caucuses. Uh, so there's a lot to like there. Uh, just like Arkansas, there's no need to try to steal a South Dakota pickup. Um, but she has the charisma, she has the experience, she has the stage presence and the stump speech uh, to be able to make an effective campaign nationwide. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, obviously has a lot of experience with the press, having served as uh, uh the White House spokesperson during the Trump administration, uh, but doesn't have as easy a way with uh, voters as uh, Governor Nome does. Um, and Carrie Lake uh, is just such a swirl of controversy. I mean, Donald Trump could decide he's going to go mega mega, um, and uh, he's obviously the the the, the first person who uh, crafted that term. Uh, but Carrie Lake has, in many respects, occupied it uh, as, at least as successfully, if not more so, than Donald Trump. And that may be one reason why she's unlikely to be his uh, running mate in this campaign, that she is 
very, very high wattage, and I'm not sure that Donald Trump will want somebody who even has the prospect on a good day of drawing more attention than he does himself. No doubt, David Burtzel with us a couple of minutes. Now, uh, I mentioned prior, David, today is the uh, 51st anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, which, of course, granted uh, America's federal constitutional right to an abortion. Then we all know what happened with the Supreme Court overturning that law, uh, ruled that the right should be determined by the states. Now, Joe Biden is going to go all out. Uh, They're going to hit the airwaves, battleground states, and everything else. Uh, It'll be the first abortion focused ad of the year you know the emotional testimony uh from a woman you'll see personally affected by a state abortion ban who will lay the blame directly in the form of president so uh you know this is the playing card as far as the administration of the party is to go after trump on this uh a very high intensity type of issue uh high debate type of issue no question about it uh, but with everything else going on, as far as uh, where Joe Biden stands and on, on many other issues, uh, they're going to play this card to the end here, and they're going to hit the airwaves. Uh, the question is, how much of an impact will it be from the get-go? Well, it's very clear that this has made a major difference when it has been on the ballot uh, as a uh, as, as a ballot item. Uh, in, in other words, uh, abortion access or abortion bans, when that when those have appeared on the ballot, without exception so far, even in very red states, uh, voters have turned out in force to keep abortion legal uh, or as available as permissible within the boundaries of the law in each and every state where it's appeared on the ballot. So it's a powerful issue, and it has proved powerful issue uh, in uh, both statewide races and in uh, House races uh, when that has come into focus uh, in terms of nominating judges, in terms of taking deliberate action to either uh, expand or restrict abortion access, it's less clear that that's going to be dispositive in a presidential contest. Uh, Joe Biden will be today announcing uh, an expansion of abortion access under the Affordable Care Act, uh, and that will be uh, the the most significant of the policy changes. He's also expanding access for federal employees wherever they may be, which is sure to be challenged in court. Um, but uh, it's pro- it's certainly a potent issue for Democrats. It's unclear if it is going to be as potent an issue for Joe Biden, uh, and particularly Joe Biden, who uh, was sort of. Uh, on again, off again about abortion throughout his career in the 1990s, particularly. Uh, clearly, he's plainly planted his flag in the access uh, side of that ledger now. Yeah, no doubt. And then there's the issue of what's happening in the Middle East. And there's a lot of pressure right now that is mounting uh, on the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and that's to strike a deal with the terrorist uh, group known as Hamas. And I'm talking about the hostages, David. We haven't heard a lot about the release. Still got more than 100 dead, believed to be alive in Gaza. Um, Netanyahu reiterated yesterday that he rejects outright the terms of a surrender of the, you know, until Moss will maintain his ground offensive. I know he's rejected calls for uh, Palestinian sovereignty following his talks with Biden, uh, post-war Gaza and everything else, two-state solution and everything else that co- that's coming into play here. Um, so there's a lot of pressure right now on this administration 
And also, where does Netanyahu go as far as these hostages are concerned? We hope they're alive. We don't know for sure. We saw the trickling of a couple of release of hostages way back. Nothing since. But I think this is also, uh, you know, right now, uh, a lot of pressure uh, on the White House to make some sort of a move as far as, uh, you know, this election is concerned. Uh, And uh, Netanyahu is facing a lot of pressure, too, as far as uh, all that is concerned as well. So there's kind of a give and take here and a tug of war going on. Uh, there's a lot of give and take, although not much give from Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, is if we look back uh, all the way to the days immediately following October 7th, there's never been uh, an end game clearly articulated by this administration, except by its most extreme elements who want to see uh, a Gaza emptied of Palestinians. And they have been very clear about that in public statements, including from his defense minister and others. Uh, the two-state solution for this administration, I'm speaking about the Israeli administration, uh, has never been on the table. Uh, it's been part of U.S. Uh, policy toward Israel for decades now. Um, but that is not where uh, Bibi Netanyahu wants to go. Um, and the question really becomes, I mean, to your point about what is he going to do about the hostages, what can you do? I mean, clearly, uh, the military, the frontal assault has not freed hostages. It's hard to imagine a scenario where that Uh, changes in the near future. There have been a number of ideas floated by people across the political spectrum and around the world of some kind of Arab coalition that could come in and uh, help the Palestinians govern and maintain security. Uh, But this requires ceding some direct military presence on the part of the Israelis, and that is not something this government is, is, is willing to do. And you're absolutely right, it puts pressure not only on the Israeli government, but on the U.S. government uh, as Israel's uh, principal financial and military uh, ally um, to, to see some positive motion here, and it puts distance between Netanyahu and President Biden, um, who clearly wants to see a uh, uh, a, a, a cessation, not, not a cessation, at least a, a, a reduction in military hostilities, looking toward other kinds of solutions. But other kinds of solutions are not anything that this administration, again, the Israeli administration, is talking about right now. Uh, so they are risking a relationship uh, that many would put at the absolute core of Israeli security. No doubt. Uh, David Birdsell with us. Not getting a lot of play, David is the former trade advisor Peter Navarro uh, faces sentencing following his conviction last year. A couple of counts of contempt uh, from, of Congress for not complying with a subpoena that was issued uh, by the now disbanded House Select Committee that investigated the attacks on the U.S. Capitol of January the 6th. I know that each count carries a mandatory minimum sentence of a month in prison. I know prosecutors uh, Senator, finally, the judge overseeing the case that his conduct kind of justifies a harsher sentence. Maybe asking for a sentence of six months for each count and a fine. Um, where do you think the judge goes regarding Peter Navarro here? I suspect that the judge will uh, try to uphold the uh, importance of a congressional subpoena. Um, I, I, I don't know the judge's thinking, but the mandatory minimum, as you say, is, is the baseline. Uh, and the question is how much more uh, is, is put onto the time in jail uh, in order to affirm the uh, 
the importance of complying with congressional subpoenas. Um, and I, I don't want to put a number on it, but I suspect it will be something north of the minimum. All righty. We'll keep an eye on that as well as other things, New Hampshire and everything else. Big week here uh, coming into play. We'll have plenty of times to converse, my friend, David Birdsell, the uh, Provost of King University. You stay well. We'll wait and see. Look forward to the next time, my friend. Stay well and warm, Jay. Thanks for having me.